Hey guys, welcome to Fox RC Podcast. So welcome, so welcome, so welcome, welcome to the show. The best guest I got to is that we're the girl host and the best guest, Daddy Mike, the Mike on the house. Daddy Mike in the house, nice. <laughs> yes, what's up, Seth Erie? Well, hi. How's school going, man? Good. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? We yeah. had half a day today? Yep. Yeah, it was a big deal, huh? Half yeah. day Friday. Half day Friday. Half day Friday. I don't know that it's every Friday, but it's the Friday before Liberty Day, so it's half day <laughs> oh. Friday, which means we delayed the start of the podcast until Seth can make an appearance. Yeah. The That's outcry, right. uh, the outcry against heaven and earth was too great. So Seth Erie. Yeah. So what's going Everybody on? Everybody wants to hear from Seth Erie. Everybody wants to hear from Seth Erie. So yeah. so tell us what's going on. What did you just have for lunch? Um, um, I got a broccoli and... You did not eat broccoli. No, um, I, <laughs> I eat uh, uh, yogurt and... Oh, that was your snack. Yeah, you had yogurt. And juice box. And a juice box. Oh, yeah, yummy. But what did you have for lunch right now? What did you have? Zaxby's. Zaxby's, ladies and gentlemen, because why? Chick-fil-A is downgraded. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. We've talked about this in previous no episodes. It's a big deal, guys. It's a big deal. Chick-fil-A so, has so been knocked off so the throne. Welcome to Seth Erie Radio. Radio. Yeah, Seth wants to do a radio episode Shit. for Voxology. So, so, Seth, let's talk about some of the songs that you would choose yeah. For if we did a Spotify episode for Seth Erie yeah. Radio, what what are some of the songs you would choose? Um, Mr. Break Break My Heart. Break My Heart by uh, Tayo Cruz, excellent, like 2004. Uh, yeah. With uh, Ludacris. Tim. Tim. Oh wow. Yeah. Tim. Yeah. Hate that break my heart. Hit that break my heart. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I don't think we have that one queued up, but yeah, I don't have the rights for that. Song. Hit the theme song. All right. Seven, please. There it is. So Seth Erie has a playlist on my phone. And um, uh, those songs, I don't know, we play probably 8,000 times every time we're in the truck together. And yeah. uh, Break My Heart by Tayo. Tayo? I don't think I know that one. I'll have to look it up. No, you, no, you really don't no, need to. No, okay. Nope. Nope. <laughs> don't need to at all. Um, you're not missing a darn thing, my friend, but uh, it just let me take you back to 2004 um, or five. I don't even know. Um, anyway, Timothy, what's happening with you? How was your week? Let's do some good. witty banter. Two. Let's do some witty banter. Some week two of school. Yes. It's very hot. Very hot. Kids are already lethargic. Well... Yeah, I'm surprised they waited to week two. I know. Week one, they're all scared because they're mostly freshmen. So they're. Oh, nice. Kind of easing into being on their own, kind of, for the first time. And then week do you two, make they're them, like. Do you make them call you Dr. Stafford? No, I'm not a doctor. So what? They don't know. No, they mostly just call me Stafford. They'll, okay. all, they'll all call me Professor when they're like, kind of like worried and nervous on their, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And Professor, can I have extra credit? Yeah, it's usually and then while Stafford. we're walking across campus, I just hear Stafford. Nice. 
I look over and it's some kid. So you've, from you've kind of achieved class. Gombas status or Madonna status or Prince status. That's right. Just yeah. one I'm, word. I might just. I might actually get it legally changed. Yeah, just Stafford. Just drop it to one. Yeah. But keep two Fs or or. Probably it's already confusing okay. enough. I don't know how many applications I get back with the Tim Stanford. Lame. Or emails Tim Stanford. Lame. Um, Timothy. Anything yeah. else? Okay, so it's hot school, but you're good otherwise. Hot school. Yep. Just hanging out. It's hot boy summer. Yep. I um I wanted to let you know that um uh, <coughs> still vaping. Yeah. Going on week number three. Some sort of heinous cough. Thank you very much. Um, heinous. Yeah, whatever bronchioles are involved in that. But um, anyway, brothers and sisters, welcome to the show. We start with Seth. We start with the Tim update. I mean, what else could you possibly ask for at the front end? There isn't a whole <laughs> heck of a lot. Um, Just pure electricity. It is. I mean, and I feel the juice. You feel the juice. So let's just get this thing rolling, ladies and gentlemen. Rolling. Roland's like a, what, 2000 Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit. yep. As long as we're doing terrible deep cuts. Yep. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Yeah. I know. The poor, I mean, I, I, it would be interesting to know what part of our audience is pre, like pre-40. I'm an under the age of 40, not pre-40, um, and has no idea that of these, you know, monsters, or maybe under 30, maybe some, I mean, because you're what? You're 43. Oh, just a pup, dude. Just a pup. Yeah. I'm 57. Just a mid midlife pup. 57, huh? Sure. I feel like you're 57 cruising. today. That's right. <laughs> I'm sliding into home at that point. Hey, so let's do, let's do some thank yous, Timothy. Um, okay. As always. Thank you, Mike. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. No, I was thinking about thanking other people who oh. get involved in our community. I thought um, we were just going to have a one-on-one -on -one affirmation session real quick. Absolutely, Tim. I love your hair. Have you ever <laughs> seen the... Um, the uh, it's online. It's called Playground Insults on the BBC. Uh, I don't think so. So I they, mean, get, two, familiar, but I can't. they get two co-stars. And you're, the, the, the idea is that you're supposed to insult them in the silliest of ways. So, like, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg did one that <laughs> oh, is just that. <laughs> the greatest. Ryan Reynolds uh, did one with Josh Brolin uh, about Deadpool 2. I think that, that, was, that was pretty funny. Yeah. All that is to say, we could do the reverse of that. Playground affirmations. Playground Tim, affirmations. I like Tim, your I shoes. Like, I like your shirt today, Tim. No, I want to <laughs> thank people outside of our community who um, have come on our team to support us. And so... Thank you to Daniel and to Brian and to Miles. Way to go, gentlemen. Thank you for coming on the Patreon team, man. It is such a gift, as we say every single episode, such a gift um, to be able to be a part of a community that helps support the cause. And then our friend Heather. I don't know if you know Heather. Heather planted Vox Community with us way back in the day. I and I saw her name and was just like, oh my goodness, she's the greatest. So... Thank you guys very, very much. If you want to find out more about what we're up to, you can go to voxologypodcast.com. Find out we have two giving platforms, tithe.ly or tithely as we call it. 
and then Patreon, um, or you can go to patreon.com and type in Voxology Podcast. All that is to say we are a crowdfunded 501c3 and are grateful for your support. Now, speaking of- I like the playground affirmations. That should be something we do with the guests. It'll make everybody so wildly uncomfortable. And not well, like, yeah. Welcome, and not, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, we'd like and to not do this tell segment them. with you. Yeah, yeah, not tell them ahead of time. <laughs> and they have to they have to compliment us yeah, too. So it's like to, it has to be a to mutual. I know. I think that could get us into trouble. But um, speaking of trouble, Timothy, we got some feedback from last episode. So Timothy, <clears throat> Tim's troubled times turned into terrific amounts of email. And feedback, which we love. And I'm sorry we don't respond to all of it. Um, you guys are overwhelmingly uh, engaged, and we love it. And it's we're slowly working our way. But um, I, I've got some responses, Tim, that I thought would be fun to read because... We get such varied responses to things. Like, I have the email open right now, and I can see, and, like, you know, you have everything from, like, tremendous well-vetted theological pushback on something down to like someone sharing someone emailed in and shared uh a crossword in the new york times where the where the answer was eddie vetter and that was it just like hey <laughs> five across it's the greatest blank vetter lead singer of pearl Jam, and that's it that's the whole email yeah I, I mean yeah so what we're saying is you guys are amazing we were voted by the way most intelligent podcast by uh, podcastersanonymous.com. And so congratulations. And I, I think you'll see this intelligence reflected in the numerous, numerous emails that we got um, and that I have asked permission for uh, from people to read. So, um, and some of these are a little longer, but they all make, the reason we choose them is they all make very salient points and bring perspectives to the discussion if you missed last episode uh tim was just bringing up what does it look like to be engaged in our world like no small question there and uh (laughs) somehow we turn that into an hour-long conversation mike and tim we all miss seth today there was groaning and gnashing of teeth by the collective (laughs) groans and wails of the community so not after this one you're not going to miss seth what a great topic and a very welcome comeback of Tim's Troubled Times. Thank you, dear listener. I heard the shout-out requesting to hear from your Hong Kong correspondent, so I thought I'd write in during oh, yeah. my ferry commute to work this morning. So this is coming at you live from Hong Kong. My wife is right along with Tim and death scrolls the internet daily. I like that, death scrolling. She mourns, grieves, and feels the weight of the hypocrisy, polarization, and political slant of every single issue. Her top topics are Christian nationalism, the GOP evangelical theocracy slash fascism slash authoritarian movement, civil rights, LGBTQ plus issues, abortion, and everything else under the sun that's related to these issues. So, in other words, there's a lot of <laughs> to, to like dwell in and immerse yourself in. For myself, I want to sit in this tension and understand all these issues, but sometimes, parenthesis, most of the time, these topics are so very overwhelming. I really struggle with the breakdown of community and relationships. Boy, amen to that. I see family and dear friends whom we've known for 20 plus years become brainwashed by some of the Christian nationalism stuff. 
uh, and we can't eat so much so that we can't even dialogue anymore. I've deactivated my Facebook and have really taken a step back from social media. I think a lot of us are either doing that or thinking about doing that. I've been trying to focus on small groups, home group, and keeping a space at our table for the marginalized and fractured and broken. I love that. Unfortunately, Hong Kong is still in a COVID state, and we still wear masks everywhere we go and are not allowed to have groups more than six to eight in a gathering. I didn't know that. Yeah. Though things are getting a bit better, but after two and a half years of self-isolation and ability to travel internationally, I've developed into a bit of a hermit and socially distant human. Like, yeah, I think we all would. I'm learning I'm in a season of sitting and waiting for the world to change and feeling able to do anything about it except watch it all burn. Yeah, (laughs) but the view's probably better from Hong Kong. As a Mm. white American Christian male isolated in Hong Kong without a big platform or voice anywhere, I've tried having conversations over social media DMs with friends who've totally drank the Kool-Aid of uh, Christian nationalism who arguably think that I have drank the Kool-Aid of the opposite side and accused me of being an evil, woke, democratic socialist who wants the USA to be a communist country. Amen. Please note, I have lived (laughs) in communist China for five years and have lived in Hong Kong through the 2019 protests and the dropping of the hammer of national security law. So I actually have a reference of a democratic country (laughs) becoming a communist country, right? right? Transitioning from Hong Kong independently to be part of China. So all this to say, I love this perspective. Yeah. What am I doing about everything? One, love my neighbor as myself. Two, vote overseas mail and ballots. Three, donate to voices and causes I believe in. Four, keep an open seat at our table and in our home, even though it gets gets used infrequently. I'm not trying to discuss these things anymore, but have one-on-one conversations, preferably in person over a meal, but that is difficult in my current situation. Best regards. So there you go. Man, I think that describes a lot of us. Yeah. Even if even if we're not socially isolated, we're socially isolated. Totally. (laughs) Like we I mean we we have just a bunch of new neighbors um moving into our neighborhood and and I go out and I'm chipper. I'm chipper Mike, nope. And um uh, and I always have to be really careful to sort of like be open <laughs> to because because normally people aren't very careful back to me they just sort of assume i'm thinking whatever they're thinking right and so it's just this weird like you just can't make any kind of assumptions about anybody and it's just Which is odd. good probably i mean that's at least a good side effect of all of this negativity is that it does or it should force you to be more genuine with your interactions with people and not just assume their belief systems or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know that you know what they say about when you assume. So next <laughs> next email. <coughs> I listened to Monday's podcast feeling like I was having a talk with myself in the mirror. And that's what Tim and I looked when we were looking at each other, it looked like we were looking in a mirror. That's how yeah, similar. I was also going to say when I listen back to the podcast, it sounds like I'm talking to myself because I am. The gravity is the gravity of what is at stake in our country, and the divisions between us inside and outside the church is at the very least demonic. Mm-hmm. First, 
please listen to Derwin Gray's sermon, August 21, The Mystery of Christ. All right, so we've got homework. Then I would suggest that we witness, all caps, that we be like our Lord when he spoke truth to power, and we respectfully quote scripture, rightly dividing the word unapologetically correctly with the confidence of God's spirit-enabled people. We have no reason to be afraid, and if we're going to go down, let's go down witnessing the truth against corruption peacefully into the glory of God. Now, now, first of all, thank you very much for those comments. And and I I don't know. Um, I'm going to share something in uh, uh, after we get through these that I don't that I don't. I'm like I'm with you, but um, I'm not sure quoting the Bible is is the answer. Um, sometimes maybe that we think it is, and I'm not saying you're saying this. I'm just saying. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. That, that you read unapologetically and it made me think of like what would unapologetics be oh i love that oh that's funny that's not obviously what she was saying here but yeah i i'm totally with her though about not being afraid like so much fear drives evangelicalism these days yep and yep. and because of that we all get off our crosses because the matters are so urgent and it's fascinating. Jesus spoke truth to power. Well, I mean, he spoke truth to religious power, his own people. Mm-hmm. And there was the, the there there was a sense where Jesus was a little coy with one of the Herods, calling him a fox. But you know, John the Baptist spoke truth to power and was beheaded. I don't know Go how much. Go tell that fox. Yes, I love that line. Go tell that fox. A fox back in the day was the opposite of a lion. A lion was virtuous, courageous. A fox was crafty and cowardly, cunning, manipulative. So go tell that fox was an insult. So yes, I get the speak truth to power thing, but I don't know how much we can use Jesus as an example of what that looks like. Right. Um, unless it's religious power. And then we have plenty of examples about what that looks like. So great. <laughs> Great sinking thoughts. All right, um, another one. Oh man. Okay, so these the couple of these are are super long, but I think they're really really good. Um, so do not put us at more than one time speed. Do not right now. If you are repent. Put it on half speed. Put Listen it on half speed. To our voices. Uh, wow, that's amazing. All right. <laughs> I greatly appreciate the drawing the distinction between faithfulness and effectiveness. Like you, I grew up in 90s evangelical culture. What would people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? Where <laughs> saving souls, no. Where saving souls was the top priority and fighting culture wars was uh war so that those we are trying to save aren't snatched away by the devil was a close second. All right, so saving souls and then fighting culture wars uh, were one and two. So much was and is at stake. I'm feeling echoes of Miller's The Crucible here with the hysteria. I know, I know, total total Stafford reference. With the hysteria (laughs) over witchcraft and saving souls. So I can understand the temptation to set aside virtue and the fruit of the Spirit in order to save souls. I mean, what happens if someone ends up in hell because you weren't willing to take evasive action? Right. But like you said, 
We are never called to be effective. We're called to be faithful. In fact, isn't that the point of Jesus' words in Matthew 7? Those who say, Lord, Lord, and who are rightly effective with miracles and demon exorcisms and so on, but uh, they're not welcomed into the kingdom, while those who are faithful are welcomed into the kingdom. In regards to the big question of do I focus on my community or take to the streets, I think it's both and rather than either or. During the civil rights movement, there were those who marched on Washington and marched across the bridge in Selma, but there were those who helped black folks register to vote and did other small things that we never read about in the history books. To look at it from another angle, I remember an article by Malcolm Gladwell uh, that was written during the Arab Spring. All right, so this was like 2010, 2011, 2012. Yeah. And... Um, he discussed the importance of technology and social media in those uprisings. He argued that yes, those tools helped get the word out and helped to make the crowds bigger, but it did not, the tools did not help the staying power of the movement. Yeah. He contrasted this with the civil rights movement here in America, where protesters were trained to take the abuse hurled at them by the authorities and other onlookers. So when push comes to shove, many of those in the Arab Spring protests left the scene out of fear for their safety. But those in America stayed because they were committed to the cause. Mm. All this reminds me of the line, which is paraphrased by you two in Peace on Earth. So, man, he, right. is, he is uh, buttering your bread here. Uh, that goes, don't become a monster to destroy a monster. Again, look at the civil rights movement. Those marching with MLK across the bridge didn't fight back. And the TV cameras were there to show the world how big a monster the system was. It's hard to support a system that beats and bullies old ladies who are simply wanting to vote. I wonder what would happen, here's where this is going, if the religious right took a similar approach to culture wars. Let's assume for a moment that these culture warriors are right, that the libs are trying to destroy the heart and soul of this country. What if instead of grabbing power and banning books and denying basic rights to fellow Americans, what if they took the approach of the protesters in the 60s who just stood there and bore the brunt of fire hoses and police dogs? What if instead trying to overturn an election they went out to encourage people to register to vote to try to educate not indoctrinate others um to help them cast an educated vote i'm probably being too naively optimistic no i think that's a great i think that's a great point all the all the virtue signaling on social media does nothing yeah but the, but the christ-like character of the protests that did something yeah i mean there's a lot of what ifs in there the, it's interesting to look at the march across selma right and why mlk shifted a lot of the the tactics that he was using because of what wasn't working prior to that but mm. what was the end goal was a peaceful way of trying to advocate for th people who were being othered and and pushed down and then to to juxtapose that against January 6th and where there is a huge uprising against something and the response is complete violence mm. and like an, and an advocation for violence. And so to look at like Selma and, and, and crossing the bridge and taking the brunt of that and what it did, how many, how many more pastors it united, how many white pastors joined his cause after that seeing kind of firsthand that stuff, but then to look at January 6th and look at what a most the mostly white evangelical movement did in response to something that wasn't even true, but even if it was true, say it got proven that the election was stolen, mm -hmm. 
that still is not the and and I say that in regards to like you know MLK yeah. doing things in the name of Jesus in the name of advocating for the Imago Day within that setting, and at the Capitol, you know, there were crosses and there were big Jesus banners and there was praise and worship music being played. So it's not a stretch to say that this is not also trying to be rooted in a, mm-hmm. you know, in a biblical setting or whatever. So just the disparity between those two events is alarming but the what ifs of like you'd have to i mean the entire culture has to change it's not just like little pieces of it. it's the whole thing is upside down mm-hmm. yeah yep totally agree man <coughs> man all right here's another it's one a good u2 song too of course hi vox <laughs> fam seth hi. erie without you i wouldn't uh, be here and neither would the rest of the Vox crew. That's how vital you wow. are. It's kind of love that Sethy's <laughs> getting. So Mike, dot, yeah, dot, dot. You better not get bored of this then. I know, right? I'm with Tim. Okay, first of all, that is a horrible way yeah, to begin. Yo. Begin a sentence. The issue of legalizing conservative values in the name of Jesus is troubling. Mike, your point of how we respond to that troubling sense is right. We must configure... How to use new creation dynamics against this. Old creation won't do. If we fight fire with fire by yelling or virtue signaling or directly shaming, we run counter to the water way of Jesus of turning the other cheek and fostering new creation, right? So fighting fire with fire, no, we want to fight fire with water. However, yet, but, and. Historically in the States, (laughs) I love that. I love that. That's a great transition. Historically in the States, to be Christian was to be conservative more often than the reverse. That's reality. With that, and if I'm hearing Tim's concerns correctly, saying that nothing and or doing no work for liberal causes that very much seem Jesus-y, unfortunately enables on the surface at least the same conservative as Christian rhetoric that often sounds louder than liberal as Christian rhetoric to reign supreme in the average American's consciousness of, of the way of what Jesus, uh, or of what the way of Jesus is. I hope that word vomit makes sense. You're both right, but I'm troubled too, and I'm troubled that many still think to be a Jesus follower, you have to be conservative. So the issue is, hey, shouldn't we be virtue signaling that you can be not conservative and Christian because so many people just think to be Christian is to be politically conservative? I think that's what he's saying. Also, um, uh, he, he says, he says, you are both right, but I'm troubled too. And I'm troubled that many still think to be a Jesus follower means that you have to be conservative. Yep. Totally get that. Um, and um, he says, uh, I know I have a parasocial relationship, but love you both and your well-articulated thoughts. Well, first of all, um, thank you. And we love you in a parasocial <laughs> way. And then secondly... Uh, I'm I'm delighted you think our thoughts are well thought out um, and articulated because <laughs> I think that's a because they aren't always we need to yeah we need to expose you to other podcasts. No, this but, is but, as well thought out as it gets. <laughs> Go nowhere else. But I but I I totally get and I remember in 2016 when um, then candidate. Um, Trump was doing his then-candidate Trump thing, 
I was, you know, howling at the evangelical baptism of his nomination. And, um, and of course, you got two responses. One is stay in your lane, don't be political. And then there was another response that was like, hey, I'm glad to know that you can follow Jesus and not buy into this. And yeah. so and this emailer has a point in the sense that if, if we all just take the quiet way, how will anyone ever know that um, you can be something other than Christian and, and, and something other than conservative? Yeah. And, um, and I get that. The issue isn't whether or not people kind of know our views. It's what are we trying to accomplish? What do we hope to do? What motivation yeah. out of which we're... Um, you know, working. I mean, there there is a so uh, we had a Twitter uh, follower who is a PhD candidate in political science or sociology, I think, and he um, he tweeted me and he said, "Hey, here's I want to recommend a book," and it was called "American Evangelicalism: Embattled and Thriving" by Christian Smith. And so I ordered it on my uh, little Kindle app and I read it this week. And, um, and it has a really interesting sort of thesis that plays into some of the general thoughts here we're encountering. I still have a couple other emails, but I want to interject this thing before we, before we move on. So Christian Smith is a sociologist, um, and um, he's wrestling with the question, what, if any, religious groups are thriving in postmodern secular pluralistic culture and if so if there are any why are they thriving so not just in the current because of the current last four or five years and yeah i think just this in was written in 2014 oh, okay interesting right i wonder what you'd think now but just listen to the yeah. conclusions now i read it pretty quick i don't know if i'm understanding all of the nuance i'm not a sociologist and i don't understand that research so I'm just going to quote some of his conclusions without doing the work um, that he does to kind of show them. But I thought it was interesting, and I think it'll resonate a little bit with why why I and we are so troubled with the whole culture war motif. Even because we're still arguing about how to win a culture war. And we're saying, hey, guys, you can be faithful or you can be effective. But you're still right. you're still looking at the world through culture like culture war terms. I'm saying when you look at the world through the lens of faithful, you're not you're not engaging in a culture war. You don't look out upon the world and see enemies to be vanquished, and and threats and um, things that could hurt us or take away our rights and freedoms. What you instead see is the glorious and redemptive work of God in all aspects of human life and all peoples uh, in the human community that we have the privilege now to witness towards and to anticipate in the new creation dynamics we employ in just everyday life. So I'm trying to get us off culture. I'm not arguing that there's a better way to fight the culture war. I'm saying wrong vantage it's point, the right? wrong vantage point from the very beginning. And yeah. Christian Smith's research... I'm going to quote it because it backs me up. <laughs> so check that out. Check out that great argument style. Um, oh, <laughs> Seth. It's literally how I taught the kids yesterday in my class on composition was you have to approach a paper like you're going to a street fight, like a gang fight. 
and you Ooh. it's your fight but you got to bring like the big heavy hitters with you or yes. else you're going to lose that fight it's like the beat it video from michael jackson yep i walked up on in the classroom no one can see me because we're on a podcast but doing the the snap oh the come beat it on. snap come on all right so christian smith so um, he documents, he, he asks the question, what does it mean for a religious group to be thriving? And he comes up with a set of criteria, of course, and um, says, compared to other religious groups, evangelicals are thriving. And, and what he means is they, the, the, the evangelicalism of America in 2014, I think it was when the book was published, um, was very much thriving according to these indicators. So that's his first supposition is that, hey, uh, compared to other religious groups, the measure of religious vitality, a, a part of American evangelicalism, is exceptional relative to the other groups that were being looked at. Sure. Yeah. One of the parts of that was the internal group cohesion of American evangelicals in the face of increasingly secular and pluralistic cultural um, factors. And so, so I'm just going to start quoting him. He says, uh, and this is one of his conclusions, uh, evangelicalism is thriving because of the fact that it is very much engaged in struggle with the institution values and thought processes of the modern world. Uh, evangelicalism thrives on distinction, engagement, tension, conflict, and threat. Without mm. these, evangelicalism would lose its identity and purpose. This is the product, or this is the reason, um, or the significance, excuse me, of symbolic boundary marking, which evangelicals engage in. Boundary markers are central to the formation of evangelical identity because they promote a heightened awareness of the group's commonalities and they frame interaction between members of the in-group and the out-group. All right, which I thought was fascinating. So he's like, yeah. why, why is evangelicalism thriving? Because it sees everything as a threat. Yeah, totally. So he, call, he, let, he lumps groups like this into a term, he calls them struggle groups. <laughs> struggle groups, of which evangelical, we have many of those, right? I mean, yeah. there are many. Our, our partisan parties are these. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Um, struggle groups may actually search for enemies with the deliberate purpose of maintaining unity and internal cohesion. Totally, yep. Imaginary yep. threats have the same group integrating function as real threats. Yep. We tend to fabricate enemies and exaggerate the threats they pose precisely in order to bolster members' commitment, solidarity, solidarity and financial contributions. Now... And then, and then he, he gives uh, five examples of Christians at various times and places writing about how we are literally dealing with the end of Christian civilization unless we do X. So one of those examples is from 1886. One is from 1921. One is from 1942. One is from 1984. And one is from 1986. And they all say the exact same thing, just substitute out whatever the issue is. Prayer in schools, right. changing Sabbath laws, whatever. But he's, he's making this point that we have engaged in this behavior um, from the very outset of what evangelicalism totally. uh, ha it turns out to be. 
And then he draws this conclusion. And again, this is just interesting. He says, ironically, the factors that the very factors that foster evangelicalism's vitality also have the effect of undermining evangelicals' efforts at social influence. Distinction, engagement, and conflict with outsiders constitutes the cultural DNA of American evangelicalism. The the, uh, evangelicalism's, excuse me, evangelicalism's entire history, theology, and self-identity presupposes and reflects strong cultural boundaries with non-evangelicals, a zealous burden to convert and transform the world outside itself, and a keen perception of external threats and crises seen as menacing. Uh, to what it views as cultural goods. Um, in other words, and, and this, I mean, he spends a whole chapter on this. The very things that, that promote evangelical cohesion um, actually hurt and hinder the cause that evangelicals have banded together for, which is transformation Surprise. of the social order. Right. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. To, to think that you are morally superior and that everybody should follow a Christian way of life doesn't endear you to people who are not Christians. Shocking. Yeah. Um, and then, according to their research, um, evangelicals are, uh, uh, among other Protestant groups, are the most prepared to exert an influence um, in a way that they know may cause tension and conflict. And they are the least likely to try hard not to offend other people with their Christian views. And I just thought, okay, so, so I want to rewind that in light of what we've just said. Okay. Now, let's, let's assume he's right. All right, I have, I mean, I have plenty of like anecdotal thoughts and intuitions that go, yeah, that seems about right. But I, I don't know the data and whatever else. And I don't know if it's changed in the last several years or not or whatever. But let's assume he's right, that evangelicalism, one tiny brand of Christianity, thrives on um, the struggle, having opposition and enemies yeah. and conflict and tension. And it keeps us mobilized and active, and, and there's you know a war to fight, whatever else. But, ironically, it ensures that the world we're trying to reach stays hostile to us because right. of the attitudes that promote the internal group cohesion uh, yeah. To begin with, so so if you apply this to culture war thinking, his argument is essentially the same argument I was trying to make just a few minutes right. earlier, which is even approaching a culture war as a culture war means you've lost totally. as a follower of Jesus. Right. No matter which side you're. No matter from. which side, whether you're progressive yeah. or whether you're conservative or you're moderate, it's irrelevant to think of what we do as a culture war at all. Yeah is to completely abandon the cruciform way of life. Yeah. And, and the ironic bit is that you're solidifying the people you're trying to reach in their antagonism towards you. Oh, totally. The whole thing is so jacked up. I, I, I don't think it's even anecdotal because you can look at it historically, the trajectory that you just read, and it's, I mean, that's just history. It is. It has become interesting is how that how how much that has fed into like the marrying of the evangelical culture to the political right culture, like those Mm -hmm. ties have gotten so tight that now that that's the mentality. Those mentalities have merged into one mindset, and so now it's like it's it's 
interesting. I, it would be interesting to hear, maybe we can get him on here because it would be interesting to hear uh, if what his thoughts are after the last eight years now, I guess, right? You said 2014. Yeah. Let was me, the let book. Me, yeah, let me confirm. Keep talking. I'm just going to But make I think, sure you know, to date. see now that this, this conversation has now moved to the main populace of conversation, right? Like this is a conversation on Fox News and CNN and this idea of the evangelical right. So the actual political body entity has merged together is more galvanized and more in the public eye in the last eight years or the last six years than it ever had been. Mm. So that trajectory that he has listed has galvanized pretty hard at the, so I don't know. It's, it provokes very interesting conversations because the opposite of, or the flip side of the making enemies thing is really just a grasp for power, right? Like when you, yeah. Look at that definition. The same definition in reversed is you need, you, you fight a war to gain something over the top of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so essentially creating conflict is a way of grasping at power. And obviously creating walls and boundaries is a way of creating something that is exclusive and elite and something that people have to want to be a part of or have to like yeah. apply or, or, or hit some kind of standards to be a part of. It's like a country mm-hmm. club. Like you have to have a certain amount of wealth or you have to know the right terminology or vocabulary to be a part of this special thing and otherwise you can't. That's right. So it's kind of that same type of model and that is a power move, right? It's like... Well, it's, yeah. I mean, all that stuff about boundary markers versus centered sets i mean all of that exactly. applies yeah. you all got that it. was in there while you're reading that yeah what's interesting to me is and to go back to last week is like so the turn your other cheek stuff right so the way that you articulated that verse the way that we grew up with it as kind of like uh you just keep taking the abuse you just keep turning the other cheek until you know just take the hit take the hit we don't retaliate we don't respond with violence and then now there's um, evangelical preachers. I don't remember who it was that recently was just like, I ran out, you run out of cheeks at some point, right? Like, it's like, you can only model this Christ-like thing for so long until you run out of cheeks to, to offer, to hit. Wow. And so now we have to fight back is the message there, right? Yes. That's not what I was advocating for, but it's interesting in the idea of the, you know, honor code system with being slapped and kind of forcing someone to hit you open-handed instead of backhanded and kind of what that insinuates is not fighting back, but there is a there is something in there implied of like resistance, resistance, and it is peaceful resistance. But there yeah. is a advocation for something in there. Yes. So when you look at it, there's it's granted the culture war thing is not the right, and virtue signaling is obviously pointless, or not pointless. It's even worse. It's it creates a toxic. Mm-hmm. culture because it's it's uh hollow mm. so how do we like the turn your other cheek so that's been brought up not just in one of the emails that you read but also someone else brought that up recently also in regards to this kind of topics what like what is what the, is creative resistance what does that look like sure and we've talked about mlk we've talked about gandhi we've talked about mother Teresa. we've talked about shane yeah. Um, as kind of f- 
forms and functions of that. But as you know, the original question from last week, as the right makes power grabs to try to exert power over, um, what is the creative resistance within turning your other cheek look like within that? Mm. You know? Yes. Man, because a- that trajectory is real. Like the one you just read, the one that he talked about, that is a very real thing. And it has been marked by really gnarly things like segregation and yeah. yep. uh, um, how, you know, the, the reality of how abortion replaced segregation issues and whether whatever you think about abortion. But regardless, it was also a power move. And there's things like that that have been pushed into the forefront of the guys that are at the head of the evangelical you know, whoever those people are, it's a different group of four or five men, usually <laughs> through the different eras of time. Um, but then that trickles down obviously because it's been, it gets told that this is what God's mm-hmm. desire and mandate is for us as his followers is to exert this power over a specific group of people. Obviously not worded that way, but yeah. Well, what some, do we do, Mike? Some worded that way for sure. Yeah, for sure. There are people that are like, Hey, this, person is less than you make sure that they understand that no so christian has a, a section on um the superiority you know the the god ordainedness of christian thinking in the sense of like he has one quote i mean so it's like thousands of interviews he's doing with people with surveys and blah 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 And um, there was one sentence I thought that so perfectly summed up that posture. It said, we as Christians have to understand that we have the answer. And I thought that posture, that's it. Now, on the one hand, I'm really sympathetic to that because I actually do think following Jesus is the best way to be human. And I actually think the kingdom of God is real and has come and is coming. So I understand the temptation to look at the world and to say, hey, I've really found sustenance here. I would encourage you to look at this, right? I get that. Um, But the the way of framing it that that kind of takes me off of my cross. And again, when we talk about getting on and off your cross, we're talking about embodying the attitude of Philippians where Jesus of Nazareth had all the rights and prerogatives of God but he did not use those or exploit those to his own advantage, but rather he humbled himself and poured himself out for the sake of others. That's, that's what it means to be on your cross. So to be off your cross means I'm, I look on the world and I think, okay, I've got the answer. Everyone needs to hear it. And because it's the answer, it doesn't matter how I convey the answer because it is the answer. And so that automatically makes it correct. Mm-hmm. And so, so much of the trouble that I get in and we get in is that we think the ends justify the means, right? There are things that are so yes. urgent and so important. We have to get off of our crosses. And I literally to used that statement as you literally yeah. spoken out. Yeah. 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 We, so we run out of cheeks. That's fine. It just, it just means you, you do not believe the words of Jesus. You think, you know, right. you know better. And I get the temptation. I think I know better in so many so many other ways. So I, I succumb to that too. But the, the, the Christian uh, culture war narrative is rooted in the powers and the principalities. And, and it just feeds right. wrath 
into the world system even more. And so it's not yeah. surprising it bounces back. And then we use the wrath of the world because of our sin. We use that as justification that we're right and that we're victims. And so we plead even harder. Um, you know, I mean, it's just this, it's this entrenched cycle that um, I don't know how to address in any other way. Like our, our one of our emailers said, okay, we want to speak truth to power, great. Um, let's speak to those in power in the church. And that's happening, right? I mean, we've even had more examples this week of people speaking truth to power in the evangelical church. Hallelujah for right. that. Um, and we're very, very grateful. <clears throat> but to see and posture myself as a Jesus follower, as being the one who has to speak truth to power, um, that's a tough sell. I just don't see I don't see that invitation given to the early church at all anywhere. You will right. look in vain for that. So um, uh, so let's let's I want to read this email because it directly is going after kind of your question. So now yeah. what? Well, that was perfect. Mike and Tim, I was very all caps, conflicted and convicted by the discussion in the latest podcast, Faithful versus Effective really hit close to home for me. On the one hand, I completely identify with Tim's point of view. While I want to agree with the points that Mike was making, I'm really struggling. As an attorney, I want to steel man any opposing arguments to try and see the best of what the other side has to offer. But in our current social debates, I just don't know what to do. Over the last three plus years, I've seen my own relationship my in-laws and close family deteriorate over disagreements about Trump and COVID. Prior to 2016, we were very close. And now, <laughs> you know, um, these wonderful Christian people in our lives have excused the behavior of the former president. Um, they denigrate all liberals as child molesters um, and worse, and that broke our hearts. There's no way to reconcile what they confess they believe with now what they wholeheartedly endorse. By the time COVID came along, things got worse. Uh, they have two grandkids they have yet to meet because they refuse to get mm -hmm. vaccinated to isolate, to mask, or even test for COVID. We've heard this story over and over at this point. I've always tried to fall back on Mike's admonition that we should have more in common with other Christians than any other social group or class to which we belong. If we're center set and that center is Christ, that is what should be important. Agreed. <coughs> but I really struggle with the idea when other professed Christians aren't acting anything like Christ. Yeah, I yeah. think we all do. <laughs> there are too many Christians who seem to value their Second Amendment rights more than the admonition to turn the other cheek and walk the extra mile with your accuser. It's really hard to see that we're both striving after the same God. And even when I try to speak the truth in love, I admit that my own resentments or desire for the safety of my family make it hard to even try and see some common ground to realign us. Now, man, can't we all relate to that in some way, shape, or yeah. form? From either yes. direction. From either direction. We could have conservative fight folks you know, write in and say, hey, I used to be close to so-and-so, but now they're woke and they've, you know, they worship at the altar of CLT or CRT and you know, justice and whatever else. Uh, so yes, this is stirred up. So maybe that's where I want to agree with Mike, even if intellectually or emotionally, I don't know if I'm 100% there yet. I look at the early church, and despite true serious persecution, they continue to be caring for the poor, helping the needy. They didn't seek social political power, but let the, led by the power of their example. Come on! Someone's preaching there. 
uh, with this sacrificial love, they eventually outlasted the persecutors. It's really hard to see that in the moment. Yes. I want to scream at people who want to judge the sex life of others while they trample on the needy and vilify refugees. The hypocrisy is staggering. And like Tim, I feel like something has to be done and now, but I don't have any good answers to what that should be or look like. Or maybe I do know an answer, but it's not immediately satisfying, so I go to plan B. I don't want my love to eventually be like dumping hot coals on my enemies. I want to dump those coals now. Only Jesus didn't promise us instant gratification, right? I don't want to, I, I want to pour hot coals instantly, and I don't want to wait for that to catch up to them down the road. There may not be much of a point to this or question in all this, but I want to let you at least, uh, wanted to let you know I hear and deeply appreciate the conversation you're having. So here's an attorney. Yeah. Right? Immersed in the system. Yeah. And fighting for what's good, right, true, and beautiful. Yeah, it's so it's it is very complicated. Yes, <laughs> yes, but I love, I love. So the fact that this person is feeling both sides of the, but we need to do something. But it has to be Jesus like. But we need to do something. But it has to be Jesus like. Th- that that's it. Yes, we have to do something. When Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the weeds, we looked at episodes ago. He yeah. talks about how an enemy farmer sowed like weeds in, in the big field. And the workers all come to the owner and say, hey, owner, um, who did this? And the owner's like, an enemy did this. And then they're like, hey, do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? And the owner's like, nope, I want you guys to wait because we'll sort it out at the end. And we've talked about how that is such a great picture of how we're to relate to the world. We're to work for the good of the field Right. Even if we're not quite sure who the good people and the bad people are or turn out to be. That's not our that's not our lane. And so so but but the the idea that that the initial instinct of the uh of the workers once told an enemy was involved was to well do you want us to pull out the weeds ourselves? Do you want us to pull up the weeds ourselves? And um and I love that the owner says, "Nope, let them grow together." And so there's a sense in which if we're not experiencing both poles of, I need to do something, but it needs to be a Jesus-y thing, but I need to do something, but it needs to be a Jesus-y thing, then we've somehow lost it. We've somehow lost the plot. Sitting in that tension, that is exactly the tension of the kingdom. The kingdom is now. And so shouldn't there be justice now and peace now and shalom now? But it's coming. It's not fully here yet. So right. the temptation is to try to usher it in ourselves. The, the, the whole point of the wheat and weeds thing wasn't to be passive. Jesus never calls us to be passive. Turning the other cheek, as we saw, isn't passive. Walking right. an extra mile, not passive. No, we are called right. to actively and liturgically resist the narratives that are antichrist even if they come guised in Christian language. Right. Well, what's that look like? Oh, I'll tell you what it looks like. First of all, worship with the community. Second of all, it looks like generosity and blessing instead of cultivating a scarcity mindset. Thirdly, it looks like humility and not claiming rights and privileges for ourselves, but looking to center both economically, politically, and in all ways, those who have been traditionally marginalized by the evangelical community. 
right? It looks like living a prophetic lifestyle. Spiritual warfare in the Bible has very little to do with addressing demons by name and has everything to do with living a shalom, rebuilding kind of life in your dynamics with other people. So I live and I want to live, I don't live it, I want to live an anti-racist kind of life. Not because I'm woke, but because racism is one of the things the enemy, the powers and the principalities use to divide people from each other. So all of those divisions, all of the, Gabbas is a great way to say this, all of those differences that are God-given that turn into human divisions, which are demonic, we want to resist. Yes. So uh, how I live, how I spend, how I see the world, how I treat my neighbor, all of that's so incredibly practical. Right? I'm voting all the time, either for the so, kingdom or against it. Can I push back? And I'm, yes. I'm going to go a little bit further out into the weeds of the left. Just yes. For fun. Yes. Um, being so, I have to figure out how to articulate this in a. <laughs> Don't. Just do it. Way. The, so, being anti racist. Right. And that kind of stuff or voting well uh, and intentionally. In my everyday life, yes. Yeah, and kind of inhabiting those roles are all great. Again, and I I know this word has also become a triggering word for people, but is from a privileged position because you can do a lot of that stuff insularly from your your desk, also even from your church, without it really Mm -hmm. being something that is tangibly going out and... Uh-huh. helping the single life or whatever. And so the thing that I keep struggling against is like, even with like the, the both sides of it and the like, um, pushing back. So like the woke thing, like we've talked about, that was a phrase that the African American community used to help each other be like present and aware of the threat against them mm-hmm. and the white conservative culture has taken that away like many other things and turned it into a put like a, into something negative right about like people caring about other people mm-hmm. and it's caught on so much that now we even use it as the pejorative that they right stole and made it into and so it's like we there it's not i just, it's i'm still struggling against the of, of how active to be involved because okay but hold on even can yeah. I interrupt you? Yeah. Just to ask just to ask this question. Were you always this way? Did you always think the things you think right now? Well, how do you mean? Well, I mean the 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 statement you just made about race. Have you always thought that way? That we are stealing thing in that yep. very specific way? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. See, I have I mean well, but it was not as it was not as nuanced. I understood that there was that there was a chasm that had been built, and like you just said with Gombus, like that we what we, what God designed as this beautiful difference, we've turned into a how did you say it like a yeah division a division yeah. And so I think even as a kid, I recognized that in a in a very broad sense that it didn't make sense, you know, like reading Shakespeare when you're a kid and it's like, if you prick me, do I not bleed? Like there, there was this idea that we, you know what it was? It was 1980s uh, Chris Claremont X-Men comics that made you really think about the other. Oh wow. And that was the whole 
like yeah. understanding of Mutants. those books. Yeah, yep. that's cool. Um, but the idea of being like the left pushing back on on some of the things that we've been talking about and then the right pushing back on things like CRT or wokeism and that kind of stuff, that stuff's not real. And so the fight against like things that are causing harm to people versus things that have been made up I'm a teacher. I'm with all teachers. CRT is not this real threat thing that people have made it out to be, but it has become mm-hmm. this imagined enemy like we were talking about earlier. Like we need things to fight against. So we found these things to fight against. And now we're banning books based on myths. And it's like, you can just kind of sit there and laugh at it, or you can sit there and try to take the peaceful route to things. But at some point it gets, becomes hard where, and I think I said it in in regards to the idea of thoughts and prayers last week or whatever, that you are just kind of this dog that chases its own tail with really good intentions. Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking and praying about how crazy and terrible these topics are. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. Right. I'm still doing it. Yeah. So it's hard. That's the thing that I keep coming up against is like, I don't see the both sides to a lot of these things. I'm trying to, but I don't. And, and I'm, working to kind of see what it is that's like cementing me into one spot. Um, mm-hmm. cause I know that there's, it's not, that's whether or not that's even true. It's not a healthy posture to have. So I'm working on that. So you can yeah. email me and tell me I'm wrong, but I, you can know that I'm working on it in the process of <laughs> totally. Well, and, and it's interesting, Tim, because the both sides thing can be seen as a coward's way out. I remember, um, when the former president made a comment after Charlottesville that there are great people on both sides right. after that white sort of power march, and you're like, uh. And so I hear that. I totally hear that concern. But the issue is like with one of our emailers, okay, so his family right. um, has cemented in a different direction than he has. So what, what, what's the Christian posture to take? See, for me, both sidesing isn't saying both sides are true. I have an opinion over right. what side better represents Jesus following. Yeah. Right? That's not the point. The point is how do I treat the people who are cemented in opposite positions? Well, and see that that becomes a nuanced thing too, right? Cuz I totally agree and that's how the way that he's describing that is the way that a majority of my family disagrees with my beliefs. Right. And so, but I that's that's just in sitting and listening and loving and having conversation and that's how I have to navigate that part of my life right but in the strangers who are being hurt and affected on a different scale i have to i have to do that differently Uh, there's a discernment involved in those things that requires different action oh totally and i and 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 i'm with you i mean again the, the goal isn't to be passive the goal is just what new creation avenues are available yeah. to us that shape the action we take. Totally. That's it. And yes, there's privilege, absolutely. Um, and the best work, the most cruciform work has been done, most cruciform work has been done without those without privilege, correct? Totally, yep. Privilege, Privilege and Jesus following has ne- have never gone together well. <laughs> and so so I'm not, I'm not suggesting um, hey, that this is super easy or not without harm. But right. but I'm trying to just expand the, the imagination to say, okay, so let's take certain postures off the table 
towards right. those we perceive to be our enemies. What's left for me then as someone who is carrying a cross? So I have these people, and I, I have personally people that I deeply disagree with. Yeah. So what do I, what do, I do with that? Is yeah. it a culture war? Am, am I, you know, and I imagine there are instances where if there's real abuse and harm being done, that my responses, even in new creation dynamics, would be right. more direct. Yeah, running um, out and tackling the guy that was trying to hurt the absolutely example from the yep trying to hurt the the cross trainer back in the day, right. absolutely. Or I, even when I was a chaplain for a police department, there were people trying to harm officers, and you would wrestle. I wouldn't punch. I wouldn't try to be violent, but I would restrain for sure. Yeah. So I, absolutely, there is a time for direct action. I'm just, I'm just saying, okay, the direct action that is commended to us in Jesus looks like suffering, martyrdom, persecution, carrying your cross, humility, generosity, blessing those who persecute you, right? Yeah. And I know it's easy for me to say as a white dude, absolutely. But I hope and pray that, that my courage will not fail if I'm ever in a situation where right. I'm the persecuted one, right? Yeah. And because uh, and, and people, you know, it, it's it's so funny. I had a I had a dear dear brother ask me the other day, like, "Hey, do you feel like you're ever persecuted?" And I was like, "No," because because of some of the stuff we're exploring in our church, and it's in Tennessee, yeah. and it's just a weird. No, I, I'm I am so privileged. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. I I, I wouldn't know persecution. Um, if it bit me, I mean, it's it's so foreign to my whole experience. So your your yeah. point, your point is right. It's easy to invite people onto crosses when you don't have to pay the price of carrying your cross. Got it, right? Totally. But there are ways to practice in the meantime. Yeah, that I do mean, I cost real conversation, real yeah. things. So I it costs me social power or influence or whatever right or relationship let's say or whatever to assume certain postures and yeah. that's a, i don't call that persecution nor ever would i consider christianity some sort of victim complex but there is a sense of denial that i can practice without even being in the marginalized place right and so i'm not saying that's equivalent to what it is to be marginalized not at all right but i am simply saying is when I conceive of my role in the world, I conceive first of my community, my role in my community and its role in the world. And then secondly, I can only choose between new creation dynamics that, uh, that when I do engage, and I do, right. um, uh, that, that somehow still embody this cruciform way of life. That's it. So as an attorney, let's say I'm an attorney, and uh, and again, I'm speaking totally out of ignorance. I mean, yeah. the whole conversation. I'm really. always speaking out of ignorance. Yeah, I was going to say, I shouldn't even have to give that disclaimer. <laughs> I think that's probably no. Um, and here is the legal code. Is it possible to be super cruciform in that space? Yes. Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being fair, not extorting, or not, you know, not doing all the nefarious, shady stuff that Saul Goodman does. I mean, all of that, <laughs> right? I mean, what a great place to be cruciform. But I yeah. imagine it also makes it more difficult 
to be cruciform because you are introduced to a range of behaviors that might take you off your cross that are perfectly legal. Totally. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I really think this is such an important conversation. And again, every series or thing that we do comes down to discernment. And I, because I think that, well, I think what I'm trying to do, and I don't think I've really articulated my question well over the last two weeks. No, when I, I see people's responses. I, I feel like I'm not quite putting it out there. And like the, but the, there's so much rhetoric in our faith. And the rhetoric gives us this weird carte blanche to not even understand necessarily some of the words or things or ideas that we yep. use or say. Yeah. And it also gives us a, it's, they're like bricks in the wall. Yeah. Like of, of creating those boundaries that yep. you don't even have to understand how the brick is composed. You just, no. it's just there to, to separate. And so when woke, I think about like. Woke is bad and it's become a tribal word. Totally. And so the idea of like, you know, when someone says, you know, the both sides thing or like there's two ways, but we're really advocating for a third way. Even that's just this rhetoric that it's like, well, what do you even mean by that? Because we live in a country that has two, has a system that is built in a specific way and offering Mm -hmm. a third way that there's a, there's a lot involved in just that idea. So what does that actually look like? So with exactly what you're saying, like having a new creation response to every situation, well, that's a, a hell of a lot of discernment on a daily totally. basis totally. that no one wants to engage in because it's a lot of work. Right. And I think that's at the core of what I was asking last week is like, there is a way to navigate this and there is a way to love my neighbor. And yeah. I love that Jesus pairs love your neighbor with love your enemy. What a, a terrible pairing of things that causes you to like reevaluate yeah. every <laughs> single situation because yeah. often loving my neighbor i have to love my enemy in just just to love my neighbor <laughs> it's like yeah so it's such a it's it makes a lot of sense it's a terrible calling because it's so big and requires so much sacrifice yeah but there's a lot of discernment in how that works in every situation absolutely and so having that posture is just it's a really complicated difficult calling that is probably our only calling well, that's what it means to be political as a right. kingdom of God person. Totally. What does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord in this situation? Yes. Absolutely. And I'm going to screw it up. So I need a community around me to always call me back. Totally. Right? Um, let's end with this. Let's end with this email. I thought this was super good. And you guys are amazing. We'll get back to the blaspheming and insulting Jesus stuff. <laughs> Oh, right now we're just talking about the practical ways in which we blaspheme and insult. Yeah, Jesus. seriously. Um, so this is written uh, by a woman who is deeply, deeply grieved over her church journey, her family's church journey, trying to find a church that practices true discipleship and not just, you know, the ceremonial motions of cheerleading for Jesus. Um, and she asks a great question. She asks kind of what's the role of the American churchgoer in this mess? You know, I mean, certainly Mm -hmm. we, we take shots at us as church kind of leaders and other church leaders, but what's the role of the people in the congregation? And I love what she says here. Here is one big final question. How much do we as the American church, um, excuse me, as American churchgoers, Treat the church just like we treat American politics. This is so good. Don't we listen to what they are proposing? 
decide what we think is best and then cast our vote? When they don't live up to our expectations and they never do, don't we blame them for their perceived failure? What if God actually has a plan and he's actually speaking to us individually within our own community to do our tiny little part of the big mosaic? Um, What if being faithful means we are being effective? So I love, so, so the question, so there are a couple of things she says in here that I think are, are really interesting. One of the things she says is that don't we treat church like we treat politics? So we, we take, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, but in our, our uh, church in Tennessee, we, take, we, do, we do Q&A um, yeah. in the sermon, after the sermon, because we don't think the sermon is the final word. We think it's this conversation starter. And we want people to feel comfortable questioning church, you know, the public figures of the church. Yeah, and to be part of the community. Totally. And so we were talking about something, and we got like four or five questions about homosexuality um, and our church's posture towards that issue. And so the next week, um, as part of um, a greater conversation, I, I started down that road of answering those questions. And, and the thing that struck me, and I, I made a comment, but I w- what I was feeling at the moment was no one there is genuinely asking what the Bible thinks. That's not the question. The question is, what does our church think? And we'll determine whether or not we're fans of the church by how you answer that question. And, um, and I think that's what she's getting at here. It's like, like we, we go to churches not to submit ourselves to the scriptures, but rather to look for churches that already agree with kind of where we're at. Yeah. And so we, we all sort of sit in... Um, we kind of sit over, and, and, and this can be taken way too far, and you get cults from practicing this too much. Right. But, but I think she's on to something, because I remember in the middle of that conversation thinking, dang, all I'm doing right now is navigating the opinions of people whose, whose mind is already made up. Right. And if I can convince enough of them that we're safe, then we're okay. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, Which is such yeah. an odd kind of posture to be on on some of these big issues is that we we, no everyone in the room's already decided what they think right um and how the bible should be interpreted on that particular issue which is which is just fascinating and so so much of the church going experience um and the reason it's so political is is precisely because the politics have discipled us to look at everything through that lens yeah. And to filter out messages that aren't congruent because they're harmful or they're the enemy or they're a threat or whatever. Yeah. So, so we don't have we don't have our politics judged by the Bible. We have the Bible judged by our politics, which is totally death, 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 death. Yes, Sethi, death. 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 <laughs> and um. And 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 her, to her point, what if being faithful means we are being effective? It depends. I, if I understand you correctly, I think I'm in agreement that that being faithful is the call and to be faithful is to be effective at being faithful. Yes. But I, as an American, I define effective as outcome oriented, um, where, I de, where I define faithfulness as sort of um, posture or orientation in, uh, emphasis, right? I mean, when I'm um, faithful, I'm living into something. When I'm effective, I'm trying to make something happen in the world. And I think right. those two ways of seeing the world or standing over it or above it or under it 
um, can cause a lot of confusion. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure if, if effective just means American effectiveness, then I don't think that's a new creation posture. If faithful means being effective at being faithful, then yes, I'm all in. Right. So anyway, I mean, Tim, this is such great stuff. And I had a whole, I had a whole theology um, of the world built into this conversation that I didn't even get to. Well, it's interesting that with that last little topic, like how much we have fused, like, how would you say it? We've fused, (coughs) we've fused entitlement into discipleship. Like there is an entitlement in what it means to be a disciple and what you deserve. And then you think about like them arguing for like, I'll be on the right, I'll I'll be sitting on his right hand side. I'll, no, I'll, I'll be on this side. And it's like, it's the same kind of like, same thing same argument and same like power play yep because when i think about the congregation like a sense of like wonder and mystery and discernment like those are things that i feel i've been missing from uh congregants for a while yeah and like not in a way of like like there's a way of exploring the issues that you were just talking about that aren't in ways of like confirmation bias or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. like being affirmed in whatever you think, but in like pursuing the mystery and the wonder of the conversation and trying to find, you know, what is truth and how does it, how, who are we within that truth? And, but I was thinking about like this week with the Matt Chandler stuff and not on the actual, whether or not he's guilty or what he's guilty of or any of that kind of stuff. But when he was talking about it, how much they cheer for him. And we've seen that with the, um, mm-hmm. with uh, pre- just this year alone, when someone was coming out about having an affair with a girl years ago and yeah. then she church in Indiana. And she's like, yeah. yeah. And she's like, I, it was me and I was young and yeah. And they all still cheer him. Right. And not her. And there's this weird, like there's this, this weird entitlement with, yeah, not everybody obviously, but you see it sewn into a lot of what discipleship looks mm-hmm. like now mm-hmm. it's that it's the same thing from the book you were talking about it's the building walls and and hoarding power and pushing out and looking in and yeah. i don't know well the same culture war framework that yeah. i look upon the world with naturally applies to my soul totally so um i have a culture war with my soul and so I put on, I mean, it's the same, it's the same yeah, dynamic. No, that's an interesting picture. Yeah. Totally. And um, so, you know, the, the personal gospels, sin management and in sin management, of course, I have to master my sin um, and have power over it because the cross yeah. guarantees victory and yeah. all of that. And I, you know, used to think all of that was right on and that's what salvation or sanctific- sanctification consisted of. Yeah. But the errors are the same in both places. Framing totally. the issue that way yeah. automatically means you're starting down a path that will not lead you to um, the kingdom, not in its yeah. fullness anyway. Jesus, yeah. of course, can redeem it all, and he does, and hallelujah for that. Um, but yes, so when we see brothers and sisters in Jesus who are claiming um, things... Um, that we see are not congruent with the Christian life. Do we call that out? Well, it depends what call that out means. Jesus tells us how it is that we're to see the sin of other people. 
And that's through this, the log in my own eye and confessing that and then seeing the speck in theirs. So Jesus gives us lots of like real practical tips on how to do this in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to go listen to that for more, I mean, that's it. That's it. And we should just do that series every year and like, you know what I mean? And just kind of go through it again in the current climate. And I don't know. Yeah. It'd be interesting to, it would be totally be interesting. It's a really long series. So maybe not the whole thing, but it is a very long 19 episodes, very long series. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So anyway, all right, Seth Erie. Yeah. Hey, come here. Do you wanna do you wanna tell everyone goodbye? Yeah. All right. What do we want to do? What kind of blessing we want to do today? Shema. Shema. Yeah. All right. Let's do that, boy. Are you ready? I pick Tim Stafford. You're gonna pick Tim Stafford. I don't. I don't think Tim knows this one. Yeah. I okay. don't. I don't know all of it. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's you and me do it. Okay. Yeah. Ready? One, two, three. three. Shema Israel. Adonai Elanehu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Dude, you did both of them? Yeah. Did the Lord bless you and keep you too? You didn't miss a beat either. Man, you're on fire right now. How was your Zaxby's? <laughs> Good. Yeah? Do you yeah. like Zaxby's Ranch? Yes. Yes. Are you a ranch fiend? What? What? Mike, what to think that? Why did I say that? Yes. Because you you like ranch with everything, right? Yeah. Confess it, Seth. <laughs> Confess it, Seth. You like ranch with everything. <laughs> Right? Is what has there not a food you have not dipped in ranch? Um, Chick Fil A ranch. Do you like Chick Fil A ranch be- or or Zaxby's ranch better? Um, I like Chick Fil A ranch. I like with a dog's Zaxby's ranch. Man, that's so confusing. Your heart, your <laughs> the allegiances of your heart right now are so confused. Knows. He knows what's good and what's not. So hit subscribe. Hit subscribe. Yep. Now hit Yeah, please send it to me on mom's iPad, which happens on Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. And the book is talk of Fox OC Podcast. Yeah, I did. I did talk on the Voxology Podcast. So did Seth Erie. Thank you. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. A big shout out to, shout out to Seth, uh, Tim Stafford, Daddy Seth, Mike. and Denny Mike. Uh, we are my belly. a Fox Ology Podcast. Seth, you real. Tim, hey, 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 the Fizzard. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials, facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on Instagram at voxology. 
thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.